He is risen. He's risen. All right. That was pretty good, you guys, but still not quite the same. So I have discovered or maybe remembered that I love to be in the presence of people. For those of you who don't know me, I love hugs, maybe more than Olaf, and I love to snuggle, just ask some of the staff. And I love the energy that comes when people are in one another's presence and they're chatting or they're brainstorming. And although I am very thankful for Zoom and some medium to connect with people, it's still been a bit of a struggle for me. And so, of course, I start to ask, why? Why is this difficult? I'm talking with people, I'm seeing people, but it's different, right? And it's taken a bit of reflection during this Lenten season to realize and appreciate that our physical bodies are a part of our spiritual life. And what better evidence than the resurrected Jesus himself? And so let's dive in. So just prior to this section in Luke that was just read, the women have already gone and they've seen the empty tomb and Peter investigates and confirms that the tomb is also empty. And then these two disciples have an encounter with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And now all of the disciples are gathered together, um, essentially in hiding and discussing the events of the day. Can you feel the questions? What's going on? What if this? Now what? Do we believe the women? Is Where is Jesus' body? Did you take Jesus' body? Where is it? What does this mean for our jobs and our future? I mean, do you feel that in your chest? Like I felt that just talking about it. This is not a room of celebration. This is one of stress. There's no high fives. There's no belly bumps. Just anxious speculation. Eyes darting around the room. You get the picture. And while they were still talking, Jesus stood among them. There was no creaky door. All of a sudden, he was standing among them. And I wonder, did he clear his throat? Like, <clears throat> peace be with you? Because no matter what, the Bible says they were startled. Uh, they were so wrapped up in seeking their own answers and containing their fear to notice that Jesus was standing among them in the flesh. And I love that Jesus probably knew that these questions were happening about his body. And so he kind of gave some precursory answers before they even could question him, right? And so, you know, clearly Jesus' body was not stolen uh, because it's there in the flesh. So those rumors are not true. But maybe, maybe Jesus is among them, among them because he's a ghost, right? There's a lot of different definitions of what is a ghost. But essentially it's a soul of a person, once living, um, that can go around talking like the person once did when they were living. They're just simply lacking a physical body, right? They appear as a wisp. Like, imagine moaning myrtle. Oh, Sir Nicholas de Mimsey of Porkington, you know, from Harry Potter. Like, that kind of ghost, right? And so maybe Jesus was one of these ghosts, except his disciples could touch him, right? In fact, Jesus himself tells his disciples, like, touch me and see. Does a a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have, right? Thank you, Jesus. All right, so maybe Jesus is a zombie, right? Zombies have a body, right? 
And, well, that's about all. Like, there's no mind, there's no soul, just a reanimated body. And if you kids have ever played Plants vs. Zombie or read the books, what does a zombie eat? Brains! Did Jesus eat brains? <laughs> no, he ate fish! Which I love that Luke felt it necessary to include this in part of his gospel, is that what Jesus ate. So Jesus wasn't stolen, he wasn't a ghost, he wasn't a zombie. What does that leave? One, he rose from the dead just as he said he was going to do, right? The disciples had seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the grave, so it wasn't that hard to believe that Jesus himself would rise from the grave. The disciples knew it could be possible. And now here is Jesus eating fish and talking, maybe even laughing at the looks on his disciples' faces and being poked to ensure that he was really there in the flesh and fully functioning mind, soul, heart, and strength. I just wanted to make sure before we go any further that we're all on the same page. And sometimes it's, it's easy for me to become complacent and comfortable with this amazing, awesome mystery of God. He is risen, not a ghost, not a zombie. So why is this important? Besides Jesus fulfilling all that was written about him in the prophets, the law of Moses, and the Psalms, it gives us a sense of importance on the physical, right? And now I think of like Jesus is Jesus, so he could have easily skipped this stage and went straight to heaven, do not pass go, you know, kind of discarding his body like a greasy mechanic coverall or something like that. And then show up as a ghost just to be like, hey, peeps, just here's the lowdown, here's the plan, and then gone on his way. But obviously he didn't. And I even asked my kids, why do you think that this was important for the disciples to see Jesus and to touch him? And they simply responded to prove that he actually conquered death and then he had to talk to his disciples. And it literally was in that kind of dumb mom tone. So simple and yet so dialed in, right? And so I think there's this really great message about our bodies and our spiritual journey in the resurrection of Jesus. Now this isn't a sermon on organic, wholesome eating or healthy living, although I do believe that those are important. But I also want to focus on that our bodies aren't just a shell that are home for our soul and, and our mind, but an active, integral part of our spiritual journey. So in the beginning, right, in Genesis chapter 1, we learn that we are made in God's image. God didn't have to create anything, right? Within the Trinity, there was diversity and unity within the three parts. But creators got to create, right? <laughs> Ask any kid, why did you build that awesome Lego car? I wanted to. Why did you paint this beautiful painting? I felt like it. Well, this chalk drawing, tell me more about it. I don't know, I just did. I just made it. You know, like, sometimes there doesn't have to be a reason other than they wanted to. And I feel like sometimes that's the same with God, right? And so here he is still creating, because he's God. And as, this, as the symphony of creation comes to a culmination, mankind is the crescendo, the big finish, right? Of like, hey, let's make man in our image, like this final idea. And humans um, are the closest, physical, touchable, finite representation of our infinite Lord. 
So our, our sizes, our skin colors, our hair types, all of it is a reflection of the mosaic of God. If the body was unimportant in our spiritual journey to know God and understand God, body, God better, then why bother, right? We could have been any type of being, but as it is, God decided that we would be flesh and bone and blood and guts all put together. And then what's even more amazing is that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus, the word, took on flesh to be Emmanuel, God with us, hanging with us, living with us, in a body that is fashioned after his image. And I love, I sometimes think about like, how does all of this happen? And I think of the genie from Aladdin, where he's like, phenomenal cosmic power, and then itty bitty living space. And that's how I see Jesus of like this infinite God into a teeny tiny human. <laughs> Anyways, that's how I picture Jesus. And at Kids Church, we often talk about Jesus in the flesh. Like it's important for them to know that Jesus was a baby. Jesus was a kid. Jesus was a teenager, a young adult, and a man. And I really appreciate a question from one of the kids at Kids Church one week. And she asked if Jesus grew up the same as we do. Or did he grow up extra fast? Because he's God, so why not? And which is a really great question. It came from the fact that there is 18 years of Jesus' life that is unaccounted for, that we have no idea what is going on. And so her reasoning was, maybe he just skipped through those 18 years, which could have made, which I think is a great question, but also could have made those who live around him, you know, a little bit interesting. Or was he just living an ordinary life? Most likely as a carpenter, right? And despite the fact that he's the extraordinary son of God. He was in the mundane, using his body to build, to live life, to learn, to be with his family and friends. And I feel like this gives us kind of a holy reverence to the basic rhythms of life. And since Jesus was actively bearing the image of God in the flesh, I feel encouraged and maybe even inspired by my ordinary life because of Jesus, right? Second, our bodies are instruments of awe and wonder. The disciples, it says that they are in such a state of joy and amazement, awe and wonder, that their brains were firing so fast and trying to impossible the imp understand the impossible that they couldn't focus on Jesus. In fact, Jesus brought them back to the present by simply saying he's hungry. What do you got to eat? Like, snap out of it. I'm here. What do you got to eat? Our bodies allow us to take in information about God, mostly through our five senses and then how that goes into our brain and all that amazingness. But here are the disciples sitting or standing with the risen Jesus, and they saw him, and they heard him speak, and they touched him, right? And they smelled him, and it was not the stench like Lazarus had, right? And I'm sure as they were tasting and feasting on the fish and the smell and the taste together reminded them of when they first met Jesus and he called them to come follow me. So we can experience God too through our five senses. We have the same body that Jesus did, right? But often it is, it is through but not limited to creation. So I want you to imagine for a moment one of your favorite spots 
to just be or hang or sit or whatever. For me, simple as it may be, I love to lay in my yard, uh, especially on a sunny day. Rainy days, not so, not so much. But to feel the sun warming my face and I smell the freshly mowed grass and whatever flowers seem to be in bloom at the time. I hear the choir of chirping birds in the trees and usually the laughter of, of kids gathering together, right? And often my next natural step is just to worship the creator of all of this, right? We can literally use our senses to hear and, and experience God's movement in our surroundings. And then, when words don't seem like enough to fully encapsulate how we're feeling and that sense of awe and wonder, what do we do? We move! We move our bodies, we sing, we dance, we smile, we laugh, we play music. It is in our nature to move when we're excited and in awe and wonder. And I really love the special worship project that Elizabeth and Mary are working on right now. Um, these ladies are compiling um, videos showcasing all the ways that we move to worship. Running, biking, skiing, cartwheels, dancing, skiing, climbing, you know, all of these awesome, amazing things um, that we can do to use our bodies as a form of worship to God. Thirdly, uh, collectively, we are the body of Christ. And it's not just a metaphor, uh, metaphorical image of the body, which, although I think that's important as well, but it's the actual body of Jesus, a bunch of bodies making the body. In Luke, Jesus tells his disciples to go provide witness and testimony about what you've seen about me, right? <laughs> about Jesus. And what they've seen, what they've heard, what they've experienced, what they've learned. And Jesus opened up their minds to fully understand the scripture. And then he empowers them to go share with other people everywhere, right? And this isn't just instructing on the word and being a teacher, but the disciples healed, right? They knelt down to serve others. They walked beside the lonely. They were the hands and the feet of Jesus. And as we know, this is our commission as well, right? We, the image bearers of our creator, instruments of awe and wonder, also get this fantastic privilege and responsibility of being the body of Christ, a community working together to share the good news. But the disciples didn't just go out, right? They came back together as well. And together is kind of where the body rests. So what's cool is throughout Lent, we've received ideas for prayer in practice, ways to take what we're learning and intentionally praying about, and then literally put them into action with our bodies. And obviously this has happened and played out in a lot of really cool ways, like the cohorts just using their hands to make these cranes to bless the lighthouse mission. The neighborhood cleanup, just getting in there and cleaning up our neighborhood. And the heart expression through art, I mean, these are just really simple, thoughtful ways to take all that we're learning on the inside and then express them on the outside and bless people around us in Jesus' name. You know, we are meant to be the body, a body of bodies, if you will. But in all of my excitement, obviously, and enthusiasm, 
I also want to remember that we're imperfect people. We are living in a broken world. We are finite and limited and fragile. And sometimes we are broken at times. And I, I'm saying that I am not always out smelling my flowers and dancing in my yard. Um, I'm often yelling at my kids to pick their stuff up, right? Or I'm not staring at my reflection in the morning going, hey, what's up, image bearer, looking sharp, right? <laughs> That's definitely not what I do. Because um, being in these bodies is a struggle. Emotionally, physically, mentally, all intertwined in a giant mess together. We bear wounds and scars. And I appreciate the image of Jesus showing his disciples his scars. No longer active wounds, they're not still gushing, but they're still scars. And I like to think that Jesus was showing the disciples as evidence that he, there was no stunt double, right? It wasn't just a bad dream. It was bad, but it, it wasn't a dream. It actually happened. Jesus died and now he was back. And for some, the scars actually proved to be more convincing that Jesus was really himself than Jesus just being there among his buddies, talking and eating fish, right? The scars tell the story. The scars remind the disciples and us of what happened three days prior, but it's also infused with what is yet to come and that hope. The scar tells the story. So Jeff and my niece, Ellie, who's now 13, they've both had their appendix removed. And on multiple accounts, for whatever reason, they actually compare scars. And which then leads to reminiscing everyone's story. And for us, we were driving from Central Oregon to Spokane. And then on the way to my sister's house, we turned to go to the ER because Jeff wasn't quite well. And oh, did I mention this was the weekend of my brother's wedding <laughs> where Jeff was a groomsman. So it was kind of a crazy situation. And years later, you know, these scar stories still induce now laughter and healing and hope. I mean, for us at the time, this was our first major medical situation in our marriage. And then this weird balance between how do I care for my husband who is recuperating in the hospital, but then how do I also prepare and be with my family in this giant celebration? Scars are not always simple, right? Sometimes they don't heal properly, but our scars have the potential to remind us of the victory thus far and ultimately Jesus' victory for eternity. Our scars and suffering of today will be gone and healed and made whole eventually. And Jesus' resurrection gives us that hope. Uh, it's a bit tricky for me to deliver such amazing news of awe and wondered about our embodied spirituality in the midst of a pandemic, right? And the cultural messaging of six feet apart, where's your mask, don't touch me, don't breathe near me, right? Like all of these things of keep your bubble away from my bubble. When really in my heart, my friends, I want to be, you know, I wanna hug you. <laughs> I wanna sit shoulder to shoulder and be raising the roof of he's risen, right? And I know our time will come. And when it comes back to us being together in person, it's gonna be fantastic, right? 
But the trick is, is not to be discouraged. We can still celebrate in our way that we're doing right now. And we can celebrate what we've endured together as the body of Christ because of the power of the Lord. And even though we've all gotten a little older and a little taller or a little grayer, case in point, we're still the image bearers of our creator. That does not change. And we're still finding wonderful ways to serve and to connect with each other and with our community. And our bodies are special and important because Jesus made bodies special and important when he humbled himself. And I do want us just to sit in that awe and wonder of our resurrected king who took on ordinary flesh and he made it extraordinary.